want it to go. So a few years ago, I used to make fun of my lovely wife of 30 years because she started to not be able to read properly without either stretching a long way and then, uh, and then wearing reading glasses. So I was a little bit behind Sarah because all of a sudden I started experiencing this long arm syndrome. Like, and then the face follows, like the, the kind of the squidging up the face in order to try and compensate for a pair of glasses that I really needed. And now I've got the pair of glasses, and so Sarah and I often together are fumbling around in Savon, looking at ingredients, going, I can't read that. Are you mad? How many of you have already gone up a text size on your phone? Be honest, you're in a safe place. I know there's more than that. Brad, yes. I saw that indignant arm fold, a bit belligerent. Some of you got like one word per screen, just, you know, because you refuse to wear these because you're full of pride. We do have a prayer team that you can come to at the end. But here's what I want you to do, because when I put these on, you're actually all blurry right now, which is not a bad thing for some of you. <clears throat> not looking anywhere in particular. And I find myself, when I wear these, and, and I know my team in the office will notice this, that I will read, and then they'll come into my office, and I'll do this. And suddenly, I feel really old. <laughs> and it did cross my mind the other day, should I get half-moon glasses? No, I'm not making that step. So you, if, I'm in this, if I'm pastoring for more time in this church, and I hope I will, you can hold me to it if I wear half-moon glasses. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to philosophically, spiritually, just, just maybe just pull your worldview down a little bit. Maybe peer above your worldview lenses just for a little while and just, just, just maybe let's look at some different evidence just for a few minutes. And Christians, this is so important for us to do culturally, by the way, because you can go into your culture with this, with a distorted view as to what you think should be happening out there. And I'm not even saying you're wrong. There's nothing wrong with the glasses. They're good glasses. But in order to fully understand what's going on in the hearts and the minds of the souls and the spirits of the people, who are especially younger than you, we do need to pull our glasses down a little bit just so we can understand for a little while. And that's why as a church, every week, you'll notice I do biblical exegesis, which means pulling the Bible apart. I'll also do cultural exegesis because I want to pull the culture a little bit apart for us to understand above our lenses what's going on out there. So let's do that for a bit. So I don't need these because my text on my notes is big enough. Praise the Lord. <laughs> so here's the question for this morning. Is there evidence for the existence of God? Not from the Bible, because Christian friend going, yes, there is. Let me find my King James Bible the size of a buffalo beater for me to show you here. It says there's God. That's not good enough. So outside of the Bible, and we will get to the Bible, I promise you, is there evidence for the existence of God outside of the Bible? And I would say to you, categorically, modern science and philosophy overwhelmingly say yes. Yes. Let me show you. The best thinkers in the world, some of the best thinkers, scientists, philosophers have categorically said, no, I don't believe in Jesus, I don't believe in the Bible, I don't believe in God. However, some have chosen, some of the best thinkers, some of the best scientists, at the same time rejecting Jesus, have peered over the lenses of their glasses, looked for the evidence, and have now, in increasing numbers, turning to Jesus because they've shifted their worldview and they've looked at the evidence and they've seen, yes, 
there is evidence for the existence of God. Yes, there is evidence that Jesus was the Son of God. He died and he rose again, and he is my Savior, and I follow him. So at the same time, there's the best thinkers that say no. There's the best thinkers that say yes. So why is it some of those best thinkers say yes? Well, there are several arguments developed and critiqued throughout history by various philosophers and theologians and scientists, I should have added in there. There's the cosmological argument. I struggle with that word. So let me say it solely. Cosmological, yes, argument. First initiated by William Lane Craig, many, many others. There's the design argument. There's the ontological argument. There's the moral argument. There's the argument from consciousness. There's the argument from reason. There's the argument from desire. There's the argument from religious experience. There's the argument from miracles. And then finally, there's the argument from contingency. So we're going to go through each one of those, spend 10 minutes on every one of them, buckle up. No, I'm not. Don't worry. (laughs) Don't worry, because I can't even say some of this, never mind. Explain it to you fully. What we're going to do is we're going to look at one this morning, which is the first one, which is the one that I struggle to say, which is the cosmological argument. In other words, this, that the universe itself proves the existence, power, and enormity, and beauty of God. It points to the existence, power, enormity, and beauty of God. That as Christians, as we have just sung, Jared, thank you for listening to Jesus, that we look at the universe and we say, he is beautiful. As I've gotten older, I've found that something else has happened other than me needing to wear glasses. I've found that that which I used to mock is now something I enjoy. And it is being in my garden, or as we say here, being in the yard. Because a garden here is a veggie patch in Britain. I'm not interested in that. Sarah does that. I'm talking about the yard. I like growing grass. I like the grass to be green. I like being in my yard. I remember when I was young, no interest whatsoever. It will come to you just like reading glasses, I promise you. But I think of the universe like God's garden. That's what Christians would say, that just for his own pleasure, and the Bible says, for the heritage of those who believe in him, he created the universe. That's what the Bible says, that actually it's my heritage. I've already chosen my star, sorry, but as far as God is concerned, this was for his pleasure, that he created it out of chaos, just like if you came to visit my yard right now. It used to be really chaotic, less so now, it will get better, but it's just like God's garden, and it points to a gardener. So let's start with the journey, and I'm going to go quite quickly, so please listen to it online again, and you can look into this and research it yourself, but it had to begin somewhere. It had to begin somewhere. The universe had to begin somewhere. Sir Isaac Newton came up with the very, very important uh, physics uh, event. He he identified it as that there's always every uh, every physical event has a course. Everything has a cause. Everything has a beginning. That was all the way back to Isaac Newton. You see, at one point, the scientific community believed that the universe was eternal, that it never had a beginning. And then in the 50s, Hubble came along. And he said, well, actually, no, I disagree with that. Hubble's law says this, the further away a 
galaxy is, the faster it is moving away from us. So the whole universe is moving. It's expanding. And if it is expanding, then ergo, it has to have had a beginning. And so the law of, uh, th- second law of thermodynamics tells us that the quality of energy is degrading over time. And so if the universe was eternal, it would already have degraded and something amazing sounding called heat death would already have happened. Heat death is where um, the, the energy that the universe needs to continue to move will have gone static and died. If the universe was eternal, that would have already happened. So, Hubble said, the universe had a beginning. And the science community pushed back from this. Why? Because of Isaac Newton. Isaac Newton said everything has a cause. And so the reason the scientific community pushed back from this is because to say that the universe had was it not eternal meant that it had a beginning. It had a beginning. And that's where we get the idea of the Big Bang. Just in case some of you are wondering, this isn't the actual Big Bang. This was uh, just a nice photo I found online. The Big Bang. Now, Christians are split on this. Some Christians say, nope, no Big Bang. Other Christians believe there was a Big Bang, that there was a Big Bang. i got no problem with the Big Bang because it aligns with Isaac Newton's theory that everything has a cause. It aligns with Hubble's theory and the second law of thermodynamics. I have no problem with the Big Bang. This is a problem for some Christians. But the problem with the Big Bang for scientists is, well, why did it start? Why did nothing suddenly decide not to be nothing and create something? Scientists have a struggle with this. Even today, there is no real answer to this. Why did the Big Bang just happen? The best theory is the multiverse theory. The multiverse theory is that trillions upon trillions of universes out there, and one of them just happened to have everything perfect for life to begin, ours. But that's not very good theory, though, because, well, who started all them? So we kind of have this revolving question that science, the scientific community on the whole are quite satisfied without bringing God into the equation to say, well, one day we'll find out. One day we'll find out. So where did all these come from? I want you to introduce you to a scientist by the name of Francis Collins. Francis Collins is still alive, but often we quote scientists that are dead. Francis Collins is very much alive. He has a PhD in quantum mechanics, which is the study of atoms and subatomic uh, particles. After gaining that PhD, he then became a medical doctor and went into research into genetic diseases. He led the world-renowned Human Genome Project. He served as the director of the National Institutes of Health and 2021, and he has served under three presidents. He became a Christian after spending several years researching what I am presenting to you this morning. That he came to the conclusion, the Big Bang cries out for a divine explanation, Francis Collins said. It forces the conclusion that nature had a defined beginning. I cannot see how nature could have created itself. Only a supernatural force that is outside of space and time could have done that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1 tells us. And then later on it says, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. So I wonder that when God opened his mouth and declared, let there be light, and created, there was a large bang. 
and that the words flew out of his mouth at 186,000 miles an hour, the speed of light. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. The beam of light that travels at 186 miles per second, 300,000 kilometers a second, if you want to use the Canadian viewpoint, 300,000 kilometers a second that takes a beam of light to to, uh, circle the earth seven times every second. A light year, 186,000 miles a second for a whole year, roughly 5.88 trillion miles in a year. See, the universe is still expanding in my very limited, perhaps naive understanding because God never said, stop. It's still expanding. It's still moving. That God's word still moves, still. And as Francis Collins said, that this this phenomenon, this big bang came about by a supernatural force at 186,000 miles per second. And we live in such a small part of the universe called the Milky Way. We live around about here, maybe there, about here. That's our solar system. That there are billions of stars just in our Milky Way. Some scientists believe there could be 400 billion stars in the Milky Way. It would take, um, it takes 25,000 years at one star a second to count them all, if you decided to do that. It's 150,000 light years wide. That's 9.46 trillion kilometers from side to side. It's enormous. It's beyond as being able to fathom isn't it? It'd take 1.9 billion years to complete the trip if you were the Parker Solar Probe. 1.9 billion years to go from here to here. Our solar system in comparison to our solar system in comparison to the whole of the Milky Way is like a quarter compared to North America. That's how big just our Milky Way is. There are hundreds of thousands of other galaxies near the Milky Way. The enormity of the universe is beyond our comprehension. If you look at the sun, that is the comparison side of our earth. And yet we think our problem and our issue or our lives is literally the center of the universe. This is a picture of earth as seen from Mars. That every star you can see with the naked eye is within this circle, within the Milky Way. And the Milky Way is part of a supercluster, around about here, of countless numbers of other Milky Ways. That just happens to be right next to another one. See, this is where, for me, my brain starts to melt... And as a Christian, we say, let there be light is what the start of it. And science has no answer to something that just seems to be inexplicably beyond our comprehension. But what it does do is it points to a design. It points to a design. If you look at a beautifully manicured garden that is perfect in every way, Maybe you've gone to one of those stately homes in the UK that is just a beautiful, 
well-designed, well-manicured, well-kept garden. It points to someone or some people who have put together this beautiful design and followed through. And the universe is no different. And so if you struggle with the idea of whether or not there is a God just by looking at the universe, let me introduce you to probably the most powerful argument as seen by science and atheists alike to the existence of God, and that's the anthropic principle. Again, we move to Francis Collins. He says this, When you look from the perspective of a scientist at the universe, it looks as if it knew we were coming. Almost like there was a designer. There are 15 constants, the gravitational constant, the various constants that about to strong and weak nuclear force, etc., that have precise values. If any one of those constants was off by even one part in a million, or in some cases by one part in a million million, the universe could not have actually come to the point where we see it. What does that mean? It means that there are physics holding the universe together. There are physics that would have had to have happened to create the Big Bang. And he's saying one of those physics constants, if it was off by one part in a million million, number one, the universe would never have started. Number two, as much as it would start, it would immediately implode again. How is it that it's so perfect? Go back in your mind to what I said. The multiverse theory is, well, trillions upon trillions, then the probability of one being perfect is out there. But who created that? Think of it like this perfect set of instruments. Thank you for AI for creating that for me. I actually just wrote the sentence about the physics of the universe would have to be perfect for the universe to even come about. And this is what it came up with. That every constant has to be perfect. Francis Collins continues, matter would not have been able to coalesce. There would have been no galaxies, stars, planets, or people. That's a phenomenally surprising observation. It seems almost impossible that we're here. And that does, does that, uh, sorry, that does make you wonder, gosh, who was setting those constants anyway? Scientists have not been able to figure that out. All life-permitting variables need to line up extraordinarily perfectly to birth our universe within a such a specific range of, you ready? One in 10 to the power of 130, uh, sorry, 138. Now that's just a, now for the mathematic, uh, mathematicians and engineers in the room, you're like, uh-huh, no, I get that. I look at that and go, that's just a lot of zeros. I got no clue. To the power of what? What's the power what? Well, let me put it in different terms. Imagine you were able to collect all the atoms. You ready? Collect all the atoms in the observable universe. It's 10 to the power of 80. The chances of all the physics that hold our universe together and all the physics that would have needed to line up in order for the universe to begin is 10 to the power of 138. That's the probability of it just so happens that all those constants are perfect. So the likelihood of the universe coming into existence, so perfect, so perfect, is near impossible. Let me put it in a different term for those of you going, hmm, I still think there's a chance. (laughs) Thank you, AI, again. 
Imagine you were able to go out into anywhere in the world, at any part of the ocean, at any depth, any ocean, anywhere in the world, at any depth, and you were able to physically take one atom. Okay, you with me? And then you get a Sharpie. This is where the analogy breaks down a bit. <laughs> and you go, mm, like that. And you mark it. And then you take it anywhere in the world, to any ocean, at any depth, and you place that atom in place. Now, trust me, the, phys the, <laughs> the physic-minded people in the world, go, you are mental, but just stay with me. Just imagine you're able to place it at any part of the ocean, at any place, at any depth, anywhere in the world. And then you bring your friend and go, you've got one chance. Go find that atom. And your friend goes to the right place in the right part of the world, at the right ocean, at the right depth, and goes, mm, found it. That's the probability. Just think about that. Just saying it sends shivers down my back. As a Christian, why did he create that? Christian friend, he created it for a heritage for you, is what the scripture says. Because he loves you, and he wants to say, look at me. Look at how powerful I am. Look at your challenge, your issue, your problem, your life, your thinking, your plan, and then think about that. But for all the people who are still kind of wrestling whether the existence of God is there, the science of it, perhaps one of my favorite quotes that I will show you this morning is this one. This is from Stephen Hawkins. If the rate of expansion one second after the Big Bang had been smaller by even one part in a thousand, hundred thousand million millionths, the universe would have re-collapsed before it had even reached its present size into a hot fireball. The odds against a universe like ours emerging out of something like the Big Bang are enormous. I think there are religious implications. Stephen Hawkins. So science, maybe, perhaps. And this is why I want you to get the lens, look over them and go, I wonder if there is an existence of God. Because if there is, then it would be the height of foolishness to go, nah, I watched the three-minute YouTube video once that said this is all rubbish, so I'm going to go with that. It really would, and, I, and it sounds like I'm mocking it, but that's the type of thinking I have. I explained to you last week, I'm incredibly skeptical. But when I am presented with evidence like this, I align myself with other people who are far smarter than I am, who have said, yeah, I've become a Jesus follower because I've studied this. And not only that, but Francis Collins looked at the, at the cosmos and came to this conclusion. But remember, his expertise is the human genome. So he's gone from the absolute macro down to the absolute micro. And the deeper you go that way into the micro, the more evidence there is for the existence of a designer. The heavens are telling the glory of God, Psalm 19 says. The skies declare the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. In Romans 1.20, Paul said this, and this is sobering. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. So friend, 
according to the Bible, there will come a day when you will stand in judgment. So you will stand and be judged. And there is no excuse, because all you need to do is look up to the heavens, maybe do a bit of a Google research, and look to the pointers that say to the existence of God that the power and the enormity of God put us in our place, that somewhere in the middle of that, that beam of sunlight is our solar system. And somewhere in the middle of that solar system, that remember, is trillion, uh, sorry, is, is enormous in itself, is earth. And somewhere in the middle of the earth, this dot that you can't even see, every life that has ever been lived, has been lived out on a little blip somewhere there. This tiny little blip that's just a blip on the radar of history. The Bible puts it in different terms, that life is like a vapor. And yet God, who the Bible says holds this in the hollow of his hand, He's measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. The breadth of his hand marked off the heavens. Then he's gone like that and measured the universe. And he says in Isaiah 40, the prophet says this, To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name because of his great power and mighty strength. Not one of them is missing. And then in Psalm 8 it says, What is man and woman and child that you are mindful of him or her? And not only are you mindful, but you care. That he's able to hold the universe in the palm of his hands, all the physics in the palm of his hand, and at the same time knows you and your struggles and your life and your experiences intimately and cares. So Christian friend, I I challenge you, think about what it is right now that is gripping your mind, that is causing you to be anxious, that is causing your anxiety to lead to control, that you are desperately trying to control all the elements, just like God controls all the elements. You're trying to to control this person. You're trying to control this situation. You're trying to control this account. You're trying to control this and this and this and this and this because your anxiety drives you to do that. And this is why Jesus said in Matthew Just let tomorrow look after itself because God knows every hair on your head. And if he's able to hold all of the universe together, I think we can sleep well tonight. That even though your plan might be different from his plan, his plan is perfect because the universe is perfect. And it cries out that he can be trusted For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That not only does he see you, not only does he know your name, not only does he know you intimately, not only does he know every life experience you've ever had, and every life experience of all the people that are around you, all the way back from generation to generation to the Big Bang, And he holds that all together in perfection. Not only that, 
He cares for you and loves you so much that the distance that is created between you and him that is as far as the east is from the west, what is that created by? What is it that sustains that distance? It's our choice willingly to not make him king of our lives. Because when we make God, Jesus, king of our lives, what happens is we submit to that and therefore everything else in our lives comes in alignment with that. When you're out of alignment and God is not king of your life, then you start willfully doing what you want to do and that's where sin and transgressions flood in. And you cannot blame, ah yeah, but I wouldn't be doing this or thinking this or watching this or thinking this or saying this if it wasn't for him, him, her, him and her on that. No, no, it all comes down to you. All the way back, generation to generation, to the first people, Adam and Eve, who willfully replaced God on the king of, uh, throne of their lives. And it's just the Bible says that life broke then. And then generation after generation, we've just perfected sin, generation after generation after generation. And God says, that is what keeps me far away from you. But the good news is that Jesus, who by the way, the Bible says that this whole thing was created through, that he was there. That the whole of the universe was created through Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing. So imagine the enormity of the universe. I think it's okay to say, forgive me, is that we're very small. In comparison, I think it's fair to say, like the scripture I read at the beginning, we're dust. That he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient and death, even death on a cross. Why? You see, the God of the universe sees you. He wants relationship with you. He frees you. And freedom, the Bible says, is found in believing in him. You find that freedom in believing that Jesus Christ is God, came to earth as we celebrate at Christmas, then lived the life that we can never live, and died the death that we deserve because of the transgressions and the sin that we justly should be punished for. How can God punish people? We have no problem. I've said this so many times. We have no problem with justice as long as it's not applied to us. God is as perfect and as powerful as that he could breathe the universe into being, then let's not question whether or not he's got that right. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think you're good, God, with that, but I think you might have this whole justice thing wrong. Can I, do you mind me saying? The way I see it, just not fair. What's fair is that every one of us deserves hell. That's what's fair. See, God is just. And so his son went to the cross, took the punishment that every one of us deserves, and freedom is found in believing in him. I tell you, you might have made a royal mess of your life. Somebody might have made a royal mess of your life. Something might have made a royal mess of your life. But what I know is 
is that Jesus Christ was made a mess for you. That when you, and you cannot imagine, in the same way you cannot imagine the enormity of the universe, you cannot imagine what Jesus went through that day when he bore the sins of every one of us in this room and all those who believe in him and everybody who's ever believed in him from now all the way back and everybody who's believed in him from now to the future when he comes back, all those people, he bore the sin. Imagine what the weight of your sin is like. You feel it some days. You feel the, the pressure, the weight of the choices and the regrets and the sins and transgressions in your life. You feel it. Imagine that multiplied by infinity. That's what Jesus felt. He became a curse on the cross. He was made a mess, but it died with him. And then he rose again in newness of life, created a new creation. And he said, here, here's the gift. Not only now is God out there, but he's in here. Bible says that you become a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. It floods in. Can I say it in this way, and I borrow this from Eugene Peterson, that it's, it's like God creates a Genesis moment, a let there be light in your life. And if he can do what we can observe in the universe with some words, imagine what he can do in your life. Imagine what you can do in the life of those around you. Imagine what you can do in the life of your kids, in your future kids. Imagine. You see, this as somebody who's very skeptical and questions and always is looking for evidence. This is, one of the, this is the evidence that I needed to go, oh, God, thank you. Forgive me. Forgive me for holding myself up against you as something to worship. Forgive me for making my business, my job, my kids, my family, something to worship instead of you. Forgive me for having faith in something that I'm not completely convinced. That lens, that worldview, forgive me. Forgive me. And thank you for loving me. Thank you for choosing me. Thank you for promising that there is life and life to be full, that Genesis moment that I can take out into the world and show other people.